You're listening to the Unframe of Mind show, the place to have the most mind-stretching, unprotected intellectual intercourse of your life. Your hosts Daniel Wagner and Lee Mollendorf battle the forces of evil by lobbing fiery balls of truth, reason, and evidence over safe room walls. So, welcome back, y'all, to another episode of the Unframe of Mind show. Today, I have a guest by the name of Robert Galinsky. He is an internationally acclaimed coach, author, and speaker who gets to the heart of a number of very important things, such as confidence building, uh, focusing your messages, um, driving performance innovation, and he's a, a delirious about reality. And according to the BBC News, Galinsky teaches you to open the portfolio of yourself. That's a fantastic line. Welcome to the show, Robert. Thank you, Daniel. Great. Glad to be here. All right. And when you when you uh, reached out to me to begin with, um, you had mentioned something that seemed really interesting to me. And um, I almost uh, you don't even consider the roles of different folks play in teens. Um, you, you said you teach literacy to teens at Rikers Island Jail there in New York City. And yes. I, I thought that was really interesting because, um, you know, you obviously know the, the kind of basics. Teens go to jail, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but yeah. as far as the actual roles of the people involved in their lives and trying to help out and improve their situation and things like that, um, it almost seems like a, a, a thankless job. Is that is that fair to say? Um, in a way, it, I think maybe it used to be thankless. I think now people are more aware of the dire situation that young people um, are facing with the in prison industrial complex and incarceration the school to prison pipeline, as they call it, and the revolving door, uh, where, you know, as an example, seven neighborhoods in New York City uh, make up 80% of the prison population in New York City, meaning they go in, they do time, they come out, they they commit a crime or find um, not any opportunities back in their neighborhood, and they go right back in again. So what's happened to, to me, though, is I feel like uh, people are now recognizing this is such a bigger problem that... It is thank. There are people thanking um, folks like myself, and there's many of us that go into jails, prisons, and work with young people who are in need. So it's thankfully, Daniel. People are recognizing the effort, and I end up because of publicizing what I'm doing. I end up getting at least three to four emails a week from people saying, "I want to volunteer. How can I get involved? How can I help?" That's that's really cool. Um, that I I didn't realize that people were starting to really kind of grasp the the how dire the situation is right now. And it's, it's good to hear that you're starting to see a turn in people's attention to this, which I, I imagine makes it a lot easier. Like you said, you're getting people volunteering to help. Um, I guess I, I would imagine it makes it a lot easier to um, get these teens the help that they need. Um, yeah. Well, the best thing about having volunteers or anybody coming in when I go in is that um, the kids get to see another flavor and color of, of human being. So I can, you know, last week went in with um, two young ladies. One's a student at Fordham Law, um, Caitlin is her name, and the other, another young um, lady who also teaches at Rikers and volunteers at Rikers Island. Her name is Gigi. And so not only do they get Robert's style, but they get Gigi's style and they get Caitlin's style. So there's some diversity and it just makes it much more interesting. So what, what a actually got you into it to begin with that seems like a pretty interesting direction to go um daniel i've always been interested in people who are living life quote unquote on the margins or people who are 
forgotten. Um, I studied special education in college when I was a, in grammar school and junior high school. I used to volunteer with um, disabled people, both mentally and physically. So it's been something for me that I have always been gravitating toward all my life, even as a young kid, to like reach out to those who are in need, reach out to those who um, seem to be overlooked sometimes. About three, maybe four years ago, uh, a friend of mine, Jamal Joseph, who's a, also a mentor, he's an incredible human being, um, he went and spoke and did a commencement speech at a high school graduation in a boys' prison. And I got my mind blown because I was like, wow, there's a high school graduation in prison. And I, I felt very naive, oh, wow. even if, even though I'm in my 40s and thinking I know everything, you know. Uh, I was pretty naive about that. And it, it excited me. And I, I called Jamal and I said, Jamal, how'd you do that? How'd you get in there? And he mentioned this nonprofit called Literacy for Incarcerated Teens. So I reached out to them. And I'm making the story shorter than it is, but I reached out to them, proposed a workshop. Um, we went and did it at a girls' um, prison in Long Island. They call them secure centers as well. Uh, this was a girls' residential secure center. And we, we did a workshop. It went well. Not great, in my opinion, but it, it went well. And from that point on, I've been developing curriculum and teaching in different prisons and jails with teenagers specifically around New York State. So you were you were basically hooked at that point. You just decided this is this is great. <laughs> yeah, this, this yeah, this is great because it satisfies so much of my desires to to add something positive to the world. You know, it's kids that lots of kids that go into jail just completely get lost in the system. People don't know that. Not only am I able to touch um, the souls of kids that are in a bad situation, but I'm also able to then be a witness to this and bring it back to the general population so people can deep, more deeply understand uh, what some of our problems are in our culture and, and that there's a way to go in there and, and fix them and try to improve things. Yeah, it almost seems like nowadays everybody has this this sneaking feeling that that something is wrong out there, and and it's almost like you almost feel powerless to do anything about it. And then you know, the opportunities to help out are out there, but they're just they're maybe hard to find, or you don't know where to look, and and things like that. And this seems this seems like a, a point of contact for these kids that. Uh, if if they didn't have it, you probably would be seeing issues going even way worse than yeah, they already I, are. Um, and and I, I like. Oh, sorry. Um, I go like, ahead. No, go ahead. I like what you were saying about you know the, these kids get to experience a different kind of person. And um, what that made made me remember is is I, I've heard about some kids who grow up in neighborhoods where their families on welfare. They maybe. Uh, come from a single mother home, um, they may not have ever even seen anybody have held a job in multiple generations at this point. And for them to see somebody who is, you know, successful in their career and then somebody that's going out there and getting it and, and, and to actually be able to interact with those kinds of people would, I would imagine, have a huge impact on them. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, you know, many times when I come in, they will, I know it's a sign of success when I'm leaving and they say, are you coming back? Please come back. Are you coming back? And then I also know that when I walk in again, oh my God, you came back. I can't believe you came back. Nobody comes back. Wow. And what's, so that, what's that make you feel like when you hear that? Well, it's such a simple action on my part that gets such a great response. It makes me feel very powerful. 
And it makes me also kind of angry at the same time, which I kind of have to channel into positive energy because I'm like, who's not coming back? Why are you not showing up for these guys when they when they are here? And something you just said, Daniel, it's really important for me is it's the, the you know the, the generations of families that live in poverty they live um, in a welfare state and like you said man they don't see the positive role models in their lives for generations or they don't even see um, capable sometimes capable people those those kids um, that's an ignorance that they have that's kind of bestowed upon them because of their situation that same ignorance exists in the other end of the spectrum where you've got kids who are privileged kids who have um facility around them people you know kids that have uh parents that make a good living and generations of people who have been working and own land and own houses and they own cars and they own things um those kids to me are equally ignorant because they don't have the same exposure to people like the ones we were just talking about. So you've got two different types of people sort of in the same situation. Um, you know, if I grow up privileged, then I'm not faced with some of the challenges other people are faced with, and I don't learn the same things, and I'm not even aware of those same things. So that's part of the problem as well, is the is the people who are so in affluent um, surroundings um, middle and upper middle class surroundings that have a lot of uh, possibility at their access mm-hmm. don't think don't think about others like that. We're not trained to. We're not, you know, especially as white men. White men are trained to drive that car. White men are trained to uh, be a lawyer, a dentist, a doctor. We're trained to be breadwinner. We're trained to be the big strong guy, um, but we're never really trained to do some of the things that women white women, black women, and what people of color are trained to do, which is to think about our social responsibility to the world and to our communities. We're really trained, I believe, that white men are really trained in this country to be as greedy as possible. And that's a terrible thing because you're, what you said earlier, again, you know, we're slowly seeing that these problems that have existed for other people are now creeping into mainstream society and now mainstream society is paying attention to it, but uh, it's certainly because they're not, we're not brought up to be aware of these kinds of things or even to be concerned with these kinds of things. When I was growing up, it was always about get a good job so you can raise a lot of money yeah. so you can have a big family. Go to, go to go college. <laughs> go to college, and right? But none of those things were ever also accented with so you can help other people, so you can lend somebody a hand, so that you can make the world better. It was always about self-sufficiency and um, uh, aggregating as much as you possibly can for yourself. Then maybe you can help other people. So I feel like there's a shift that needs to be made in how we look at our men and, again, our white men to you know, get them more interested and involved in teaching and involved in any type of community service that can make the world better. Yeah, it's, it seems like um, we have this scenario that you're starting to see more and more of where white men are almost viewed as the enemy, like they're evil and we have to do anything we can to try to stop them from doing what they're doing, you know, and it comes off as almost more of an attack on white men rather than a, a helping hand to help, you know, maybe help yeah. them understand what the problems are. 
and yeah, which has the yeah. exact opposite effect of <laughs> accomplishing the goal exactly. you would hopefully want to accomplish for sure. Exactly. I mean, there is a population of white men that are irresponsible and that are greedy and that are, um, you know, uh, abusive in their in their actions to the rest of the world. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, but like I you think said, you could say that about it, anybody for that matter. That I don't know yeah, that, that necessarily is just a white man thing for sure. It's not exclusive. I agree. It's not exclusive to white men. But well, that's what we were talking about just now. So yeah, yeah. it would be. <laughs> but it would be a it would be a big mistake to generalize all white men, you know, in that. But I like, as I know, like I've been, my experience have told me, you know, I, I was a head teacher at a nursery school in New York city for two years. And I was the only man. No, I was, excuse me. There were, there was one other man on the staff of 22 different teachers. Um, and there was, uh, we were the only two white men, obviously we're the only two men. So my point being out of 22 people, two of them were men uh, the rest of them were women, women of color. Why aren't men being taught to go in and work with um, children and work in social services as opposed to what we always get taught to be doing, which is to kind of like, go, again, go out there and be businessmen and make money and do deals and cut deals. I, mean, I, I feel guess like there's if, collat if you collateral wanna... damage. Up. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, there's, I'm saying there's collateral damage to the rest of the world when when people are trained to just think about um, working for large corporations and, you know, then like you were, you, you alluded to it earlier, it's like, then you don't have time to even think about how to go out and help somebody else because all day long we're, we're, we're stuck in a cycle of like, I got to pay my rent, I got to pay my mortgage, I got to pay my car payments, I got to pay the electric, the heat, all the bills and the, all the tuition bills. How the heck do I have time to go out? And help somebody else. I got to help myself. And not to mention if you have kids on top of that. Indeed. <laughs> you got to get them off to baseball practice and take them off to their school event. And <laughs> like what mm -hmm. in the world? Um, so you, you would think the um, if, if the goal is to teach men, I guess, to be more like women or to think more like women. Uh, is that kind of what you're saying? Um, not, not necessarily, but yeah, that I is mean, a good way. To, to, if, if that's what you're wanting, you would think with, like you said, 22 or 20 of the 22 people that work there, you know, you would think that you would have more of the values being passed on to these kids, especially when they've got, you know, you've got these kids in, you know, under your supervision for how many hours a day, how many days a week, you know, you would think those values yeah. would be passed on through that if that were the case. So I guess the question is, um, where do you think that? the disconnect is being is at i think it's it's you know um, it's everywhere to tell you the truth it's in our media it's in our school systems um it's it's pretty much you know it's pretty much across the boards you know boys are trained to be a certain way girls are trained to be a certain way and you find that girls get picked on when they try to do something that's not um considered quote-unquote normal for a young girl to do the same thing with boys Boys are not encouraged to become, uh, to, to take on any of the roles that women have taken on. They're not really encouraged to do that. So I think there needs to be a shift. Um, boys are always taught to be strong men, which is a great thing. But strong men can also teach a fifth grade class. Strong men can also um, be a part of home economics, cooking and... and oh, sure, um, absolutely. Right. So, so there just needs to be a shift in how we, um, are 
teaching our boys to be responsible. I think we do a decent job of teaching them to be responsible family people, but we aren't doing a great job of teaching them to be responsible community members. Do you, do you think it's a lack in the amount of male applicants for these jobs that maybe they're just not interested? Or do you think maybe the higher, the people that are in charge of the hiring are tending to lead, lean more toward women? Um, no, I think, I think in terms of the hiring, you know, I know that like if there was more male applicants at this nursery school, uh, where I was at, they would have been happy. And, you know, they were, that's part of the reason why I was hired was because I was a man, you know, whether that's fair or not, they were like, oh my gosh, finally a guy is coming here to, <laughs> wow. to apply to work. You know? Well, I guess and this is great. <laughs> historically, you know, uh, say historically, I don't, I don't know that men were necessarily the, the primary caregivers of children that tended to be more of a women's role while the men would go out and do the hunting and, you know, bring back the bacon, so to speak, especially, you know, in, in a right, but centuries you know, past. It's like, I agree with you in theory, but it's been centuries since we've had to go out and hunt for our food. Food, So those traditional roles, as cool as they are and as strong as they stand, I think um, they need to be reexamined because our men are not doing what they need to be doing for our children. I just don't feel it. They're the mentors, the mentors in these communities and the examples of what male role models do are terrible. And I feel like People will easily say, if you look in a poverty-stricken area, it's easy to pick apart the men that are not being good role models, the men that are going to jail, they're selling drugs, they're committing crimes, they're violent. Well, I feel like, look at the upper class or the higher um, salaried bracket of men, go into a rich neighborhood and you will still see many behaviors that are, they may not be as public, but they're there where the men are not doing, you know, not acting in a way or setting example in a way that is helping their, their society. So you've got, it's easy to say, oh, all those people in the ghetto, all those people in the projects, they're lazy, they're violent, they're drug users, blah, blah, blah. But if you go into the people who are in gated communities, you've got them doing the exact same things, just they're a little, they're a lot more protected. They're <laughs> same not as, same things not as, with money. <laughs> Same things with money, you know, that they're shifting money around um, with in a white collar crime situation. The drug situation is changing. Heroin is now creeping into white neighborhoods. So now the drug uh, problem is becoming something that white white people are concerned with or affluent people are concerned with Um, men in affluent um, neighborhoods and communities also cheat on their wives they also do bad things violently. They're 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 driving drunk. You know, it's like everybody, every culture, community rather in our country, they have the same problems. They're all relative. Um, it's just that a lot of times the poorer people get blamed for their own problems, um, and and are looked at and looked down upon. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense because if you have money, it doesn't nece- having money or not having money doesn't necessarily teach values and principles right. and how to behave in society. You know how to apply certain you know common law practices like you know n- don't murder, don't steal, don't you know these these things aren't aren't just a aren't just lacking in one neighborhood or the other just because of money and that makes total sense. Yeah, they're not they're not fine. By- I almost not defined by class, right? I almost wonder what does um, unite the the two groups is uh, more sh- might be might be more focused around um, uh, 
neglect that kind of thing. Um, obviously in the in the more ghetto areas and whatnot you you see a much higher rate of uh, single motherhood and father, fatherless homes where the dad is dad goes on about their business you know somewhere else some moms aren't exactly choosing the, the greatest guys to sleep with and on the other end you've got two parents that usually you know yeah they've got a lot of money but it's because both parents are working they both have careers and the kids are left there to kind of raise themselves as latchkey kids and they're they're kind of being neglected in both ends of the spectrum just in different ways and not being taught what they need to you know they're not getting the attention that they crave so much exactly um, exactly so what I wanted what I wanted to ask I want to bring it back to the the nursing school that you were a part of um did it like, I guess the, the question is, why aren't more, why are parents sending their kids to these nursing schools? Why aren't they, why aren't the moms staying home and, and actually raising the kids? Um, studies have actually shown that, you know, women are statistically much more happier in the home raising kids. That's a huge job for women. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. And Well, and, you think, I think, Daniel, a couple things like one, being a house mom is never, it's never really glorified. You know, what's glorified is the woman who can have a family and a kid and a full-time job career. Yeah, good so luck. One, right? <laughs> but but it happens and, you know, no, you know um, so it, it's not really glorified to to be a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. Well, quite the uh, opposite, in fact, um, where exactly. it, it's, hey. it's almost demonized, looked down upon like you are not worth the gum on my shoe because you, you're a stay-at-home mom? No way. Yeah. <laughs> Living up to your potential or something. And yeah. Like, so that, and again, that's where our value system is kind of misaligned because we've got people saying, well, raising a kid, that's you know, whatever. But going out there and, and, you know, becoming a senior vice president at IBM, now that's really where it's at. And again, that's where I think the problem is. It's like, no, where it's at is raising your one or your two or three or four kids to be good human beings who will go out and feel good about themselves in the world and hopefully, you know, give something back to humanity as opposed to raising some kids that are going to step into the cycle of I now owe over $100,000 in student loans. I will now go work for a major corporation who doesn't really give a crap about the rest of the world so that I can pay off those bills so that I can live the life that I'm supposed to because it's been told to me that I'm supposed to have the car, the white picket fence, the girl, the girls in the yard, the boys in the backyard playing baseball. I'm supposed to have these things. And if I don't, I'm not enough. I'm supposed to have the right sneakers, the right shoes, the right tie. I'm supposed to smoke the right cigar and have the best cool car. But if have I don't, the perfect body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm really glad to hear you say that when um, I actually got chills when you said that, 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 that is hitting the, hitting the nail on the head. I think um, just the fact that if, a parent stays home with it. It doesn't necessarily have to be mom, but as long as a parent stays home with the kids and takes care of them, raises them, they don't have to send them off to the, to the daycare schools. And they don't have right. to, you know, even, even if you go so far as to homeschooling, which is also shown statistically to be way better for children. Um, totally. if you were to do these things, like these are things you have control over. These are things that you can do without fussing about what the government's doing or bitching about what Trump's doing wrong or, you know, you don't have to, these are things that you have control over, you know, and if, yeah. and if you can get these things under control and if you can, you know, teach your kids the values that need to teach them, just imagine what that would look like as, you know, a couple generations from now, like it, the world will be unrecognizable. 
Absolutely. Be super powerful. And we'd have people competing against themselves to do better for the world as opposed to people competing against others to do better for themselves. So let me ask you one more question before we wrap up here. Um, if you did have a magic wand and could just wave it and, you know, people had to <laughs> do what you say, not in an authoritarian dictatorship kind of way, but just, you know, a magic wand for say, what what would you do? What What's one major change that you think would make a huge difference uh, in relation to um, what you've seen in, in, in interacting with these kids that you work with at Rikers Island? That's a great question, Daniel. Um, as it relates to the kids at Rikers Island, if I had uh, a magic wand, I would, and because you said it's a magic wand, it's it's uh, completely um, outside. <laughs> it, it, we're living in the world of possibilities. Unbound from reality for just a moment. That, terrific. So I'd wave that wand and it would shift their desires because of the way they've been trained by media and their communities, it would shift their desires for violence. It would shift their desires for being envious of somebody else. It would shift that, that violent envy that, that drives a lot of these kids. It would shift it into a, a place where they all feel like they are whole people, good people. They're not wrong. And even if they're damaged, because we're all damaged in some way, even if they're damaged, that damage is what makes them unique and uh, drives them to come up with great new solutions and opportunities. So the magic wand will shift away this sense of envy and violence and where I don't feel like I'm good enough and let them tap into the place that does exist in everybody that is a, a well of strength where we feel good about ourselves even if we're not totally where we're at right now, where we want to be, rather, um, we feel good about ourselves and we're on that path to not worry about the person next to us having more or less, but to just, just be concerned with doing as good as I can and just get better and better every day. So your magic wand would be designed to shift the mindsets of these teens to be able to accept that they are enough. Is that Exactly. Well said. All yes. Right. Thank you. You cleaned <laughs> was, that up for me. I was writing it as you were talking because I was like, I know That's we great. can get this into a tweetable right here. <laughs> can, you can you repeat that again one more time? I, I said your magic wand would shift their mindsets to accept that they are enough. Yes, exactly. And, you know, the, again, like we were talking about earlier, I believe a lot of that comes from the way we're programmed by our media, the way we're programmed by our government. And I think our media is a is a monstrous machine of evil which really um propagates um ideals and goals that are unattainable and that are that don't have any real value to society and culture but we we are from a young age indoctrinated that way and it's it's hard to decolonize the mind you know i work on it every day i'm decolonizing my mind every day and unprogramming myself um, from what I've been raised to, you know, to supposed to be. It's a great process. I love it. Man, Robert, I sure do not envy you your challenges you face in that. I can only imagine the things you come up against. Um, is there a, is there any place that um, we can send folks to learn more about what you have going on or if, if they're looking to help yeah. you out, where, where can they reach it? Yeah, please do. Um, two places, I would say. On Facebook, I have a group called the Galinsky Volunteer Vanguard. Um, 
and that's just a group you can join where we post um, opportunities to go into different places and help out and volunteer uh, and also to just share your ideas. So that's on Facebook. And then in general, my website is Galinsky Coaching, Galinsky with a Y, GalinskyCoaching.com. And people can reach out to me there and find out more of the different things that are going on there too. All right, Robert, I sure appreciate you coming and hanging out with us for a little while and, and edu- educating us on all the struggles uh, that, that uh, the world's facing today, and especially as it, as it pertains to these kids that you interact with. Um, Thank you, Daniel. Daniel, uh, you have an open invite anytime you're coming up from Tennessee to New York. You've got an open invite. There's always a couch here for you. Don't have an extra room right now. There's always a couch here for you. There's also uh, a mini tour guide of New York City. When you come up, I'd love to uh, take you through and show you some really cool places. That would be incredible. Totally, really appreciate your time giving me the opportunity to tell people, as my friend Jamal Joseph says, that, you know, just to uh, be a witness to what's going on and to be able to tell the world what I'm seeing. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Wow. Was that not the best ideagasm you've ever had? Want to do it again? Go to unframeofmind.com to find more mind-stretching, world-altering podcasts, videos, and articles, and get those critical thinking juices flowing.